For the next 30 minutes, you're going to hear from Courtney Weaver, the director of Weld WVU. In this conversation, we'll discuss sex, sexual health, safety, consent, and more. The content does contain some explicit language, but all language that serves an educational purpose on these important topics of sexual health as we head into the holiday. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to your participation in this open and honest dialogue about safer sex. Hello, guys. Welcome to Let's Talk Sex on U92 The Moose. I am Jacob Janoski, the operations manager here at U92 The Moose. Join Joining me is Courtney Weaver, the director of Weld WVU. Courtney, how are you? I'm good, Jake. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So, would you mind introducing yourself and like what you do at Weld WVU? Yeah, sure thing. So, uh, like you said, I'm the director of Weld WVU, and what we do is we do health promotion and education for WVU students. So, we talk about things like sexual health, but we also talk about things like stress management and substance safety. Uh, and so, we educate in a variety of ways, whether that's you know smaller tabling events or through health communication campaigns or coming into classrooms and doing workshops. Uh, we're sort of we're all over the place uh trying to get students to make healthy and responsible choices cool so what you kind of explained it there but like what's more of like well well wvu's mission like for the students itself yeah so we just really want to educate and empower students to live healthy happy and productive lives uh and so we want you to we want to give you the knowledge and help you build the skills so that you can make those responsible choices in those different areas so since we're we are talking about safe sex what (laughs) what just to start off what are some common mispractices regarding safe sex that you you i guess if you, obviously you don't like notice it see it with your eyes but <laughs> what do you what do you what do you know what do we hear yeah. um well i think there are mispractices and then there are also some misconceptions so i've prepared some of both Great. if you don't mind i love yeah. it yes um so i think one of the first like biggest misconceptions is that there's actually such a thing as safe sex um because there really isn't there's such a thing as safer sex um really the only true way to practice 100% safe sex would be to practice absolutely Incidents. Uh, and so we always try to put the R in the after the safe uh, so that people know that we're talking about yeah. safer sex. Um, so that's that's one. Um, another one in terms of mispractices would be actually folks taking care of their condoms appropriately. Uh, and we're referring really to latex condoms in this sense, because, you know, condoms have an expiration date. So make sure that you're actually checking that date because it's printed on every single one of them. And in case you weren't aware of that, condoms usually have a shelf life of about five years. Um, but you also want to make sure that you're storing your condoms appropriately. So you want to keep them in a cool, dry, dark place away from from like direct sunlight or any kind of sharp objects. A lot of folks I know, especially as students, tend to carry condoms like in their wallets. That's not a great place. Um, usually you keep your wallet in your back pocket and you sit, you know, on it. And that's a lot of pressure and heat. And that's not a great environment for um, a condom. Uh, and then another misconception is that people don't think that lubrication is important. And it so is. Like whenever we talk about, you know, things like barrier methods, we always kind of throw lubrication into that talk because while it doesn't protect like you per se, what it does do is it helps condoms not break. So it protects condoms. Um, and plus it can make everything 
thing a little bit more fun because you can put lube on the outside of a condom, but you can also put lube on the inside of a condom and it produces more sensation for both partners. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, and then also it's important because I see this in like BuzzFeed lists or things like that where they talk about the type of lube that you should use. Um, with condoms. And so people say you need to use water-based lube, which is good advice. Water-based lubes is, is condom friendly. Uh, but then I've seen some articles where it's like, don't use a silicone-based lube. And that's false because actually most condoms come with the silicone-based lube already on them. Uh, and so silicone-based lube is also totally okay to use with condoms. What's not okay is oil-based lube. So things like baby oil or Vaseline, that'll break a condom in about, I don't know, three seconds and it will shred it. Um, so How would that shred one? I'm just curious. Um, well, we did an experiment once and it literally just deteriorates the material. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it really does like, it's like a popped balloon. Um, or a popped water balloon. Uh, That's what it kind of looks like. Um, So lube is important. I also think one of the misconceptions is that people think that they can't get STIs, which I've been saying that I realize I never really spelled out what that acronym is, but that's sexually transmitted infection. Uh, People think that you can't get STIs from oral sex. uh, And so they're a lot less likely to use a barrier method when they engage in oral sex. Uh, And that's not, unfortunately, that's not true. Um, While it is a low risk activity for HIV, um, but chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, HPV, all of those things um, can be transmitted to the throat. Uh, And so you want to make sure that if you're engaging that behavior, um, just, you know, keep it safe and and put a a barrier in between you and your partner. Um, So what's like a suggestion for a barrier like to go in between like if you're doing oral sex yeah so if um you're you know doing oral sex on a penis you're going to use a flavored condom um those are flavored external condoms we have them at well view free of charge uh we also carry flavored lube currently so that's exciting uh for oral sex on the vagina or the anus we you actually want to use a dental dam which is just a sheet of latex and we also have non-latex ones available too in case you have a latex allergy um and really that's a sheet that you place over the area and you hold in place while you're doing your thing and then you just throw it out. So um, if you don't have a dental dam, you can also cut up a condom by cutting off the tip and then cutting up the side and it'll unroll to something very similar. Um, Or you can use name brand Saran Wrap, but it has to be Saran brand, like literally only that brand, just because there are no holes in that brand and so nothing can slip through. Oh, okay. (laughs) I I never... I never knew that. So yeah. where, where, you, you mentioned that you can go to Well WVU and get this stuff free of charge. Yes. Where can they find you to do that? So we're located on the Evansdale campus in the newly renamed Student Health Building. Uh, and we're in the same building as Student Health Services and the Carruth Center. So we're on the first floor. So if you are coming, we're next to the rec center, uh, right by the rec field. So if you come into that um, entrance, uh, by the rec fields, you'll see a giant yellow wall that says Well WVU in, in chalkboard paint, uh, and that's and that's us. Uh, and so students can actually order free safer sex supplies through our condom caravan program. The order forms on our website, which is just well.wvu.edu, um, and pick as long as you order by Wednesday at 1 p.m., your order will be ready that week for pickup on Thursday and Friday. And so when you order from us, you just pick the selection. It's all in a Qualtrics form. Uh, 
what we do is we package it up for you in a uh, brown paper bag. We write your name on it. We leave it on a table and you just have to come and grab it. You don't have to talk to us or anything like that. Um, and they'll be out there from about 830 in the morning till uh, we close at, you know, five o'clock at night. So, yeah. So, you know, it seems like to me the impetus for safe sex STD prevention is on the man to the in a sense that you know they're the ones wearing the condom but what can the woman do potentially to you know prevent stis and such right well i think there's a lot of things folks can do because i don't want to also paint the picture that sex just happens between a man and a woman yeah yeah Yeah, we don't want to be like too heteronormative but there are a lot of things that that folks can do um so for if you are a a woman and you have you know vagina uterus all that kind of good stuff what you want to do every year starting when you're 18 is to get regular gynecological care um now, normally, the, or previously, historically, it used to be said that at 18, you should be getting your first pap smear, uh, which is, in case you all don't know, that's when the doctor goes and takes a sample of cells from your cervix, uh, and then they run some tests on that. Well, the CDC changed its regulations a couple years ago, and so now, first pap smears aren't recommended until the age of 21, and regardless of whether someone is sexually active or not, uh, and so... That has kind of changed up how gynecological care works, especially with the college age audience, because a lot of folks are still under 21. Um, so it's really about more having conversations with your healthcare provider as to how to best protect yourself. Uh, and so, you know, folks might want to try like hormonal methods of birth control. Now that does not prevent STIs though. Just that's number one, know that <laughs> STI prevention does not happen with hormonal methods of birth control. But a lot of people like to use birth control for a whole host of reasons i mean some people take it to help with their acne some people take it to help with like endometriosis or polycystic ovarian syndrome or to help regulate their periods other folks take it because they don't want to risk having a pregnancy before they're ready all of these are valid reasons um and there are lots of different types of contraceptives too that students can um take advantage of there's the birth control pill which you take every day there's the patch which you change weekly there's the ring which you change about every three weeks there's the shot that you get every month from your healthcare provider there's the implant which you is a little rod that actually goes under your skin in your arm and that's good for about two years then there's the iud which is the intrauterine device which can last anywhere from like 5 to 12 years depending on the type Uh, and actually one of the IUDs is made of copper. It does not have hormones, uh, which because a lot sometimes people don't want to put synthetic hormones in their body. Um, so the copper IUD is the one that can last up to 12 years. There's no hormones. And one of the other things about the copper IUD that some people don't know is it can also be used as a form of emergency contraception as well. Um, so as long as it's inserted up to five days after unprotected intercourse. Wait, I didn't know. Wait, there's a ring? <laughs> yeah, um, it's called like the Nuva ring. That's the most common one. And basically, it is a plastic ring that um, I would say it's bigger than a half dollar, but it's inserted into the vagina and it sort of hangs out around the cervix for about three weeks. And then someone can take it out and then they have their period for that week and then they put a new one in. Okay. I, yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. Um, so, obviously safer sex can go wrong in the Mm -hmm. sense that you know a condom may break what would what should someone do if that 
happens. Well, you know, I think that kind of depends on the situation yes. and the type of activity that it happened in, right? So we're thinking if, you know, if a condom broke and there was vaginal intercourse, there was, that was the only method of STI prevention and birth control that was happening. Um, so someone might be worried that they are, they might become pregnant. So in that case, you know, the option could be that someone could take emergency contraception um, or a other people know as the morning after pill or plan B. That's a brand name. Um, and if folks are interested in that, the, they do actually sell it at the Mountaineer Pharmacy on campus, which is in the same building that my office is in uh, over on the Evansdale campus. They sell a brand called My Choice, uh, and it t- costs about $15 over the counter. Um, there are other ones that you can buy. I mean, I think even Amazon sells uh, emergency contraception, but like all the pharmacies in town also do. Um, but the thing people don't realize about the standard like plan B and my choice and all those things they're not guaranteed to be as effective if someone is over a certain weight uh, which is 165 pounds so if you are over that weight what you can do is you can make an appointment with student health like or go walk into their urgent care and they can prescribe you um, another brand of pill called Ella which is good for folks who are up to 195 pounds Um, now folks over that weight can also take it it's just not proven as effective um, but that is an option but a lot of times people don't realize that there is sort of that weight limitation with those uh, methods. So that's one thing to do. Um, The other is if you're concerned about STI risk. So um, you want like you want to go and get tested. But the thing is, for certain STIs, a accurate test result won't occur right away. Like this is especially true for HIV. Um, HIV is something called a window period. Uh, so basically what it means is that there's a time between when someone was exposed to when the antibodies would actually show up in their system to react to the test. And so it depends on what type of HIV test um, you're taking, but the earliest one where you'll get an accurate result, it will still take 10 days. Uh, and so what we recommend is if, you know, you're really concerned that you've been exposed to an STI, you know, you can get tested right away, but we recommend that you get tested either, like two to three weeks later. And then for HIV specifically, you want to get tested six months later, just to make sure that there hasn't been a false negative. Um, and STI testing is available at student health services. Uh, but sometimes students are a little wary of using services on campus for a host of reasons. Uh, so also know that STI testing is available at the Mon County Health Department, which is actually just down the road from Student Health Services over on the Evansdale campus. So what are some ways STIs and STDs are transmitted? Yeah. So I think first let's talk about the different sort of classes of STIs because there are bacterial STIs, there's viral STIs, and then there's parasitic STIs. So um, the main difference between all of those is that viral STIs are treatable, not curable, um, meaning that you can treat the symptoms, but the virus will be something that you have to manage uh, for the rest of your life. Bacterial and parasitic infections are curable. Um, so bacterial infections are syphilis, chlamydia, and gonorrhea. Chlamydia, I can tell you is the most common one on a college campus. Um, Both chlamydia and gonorrhea are transmitted through uh, different sexual fluids. Uh, And so really condom use is really important in helping prevent the spread of those. Um, Also transmitted through fluids are HIV and hepatitis B. 
Um, now, syphilis, a bacterial infection, uh, that is transmitted through skin-to-skin contact, but it's not like, you know, high-five and we both have it. That's not how it works. Um, there are four stages of syphilis. The first stage is where someone gets a round, painless sore uh, called a shanker or a canker. I don't know if I'm pronouncing either one of those correctly, but uh, it's a round, painless sore, and the, it shows up on the spot on your body where the bacteria actually entered, and really coming into direct contact with someone's syphilis or is how syphilis is transmitted um, in that stage. Uh, and so that's skin-to-skin contact. Uh, HPV is also skin-to-skin contact. Herpes is also skin-to-skin contact. Um, pubic lice, which is a parasitic infection, um, is transmitted through... Well, that's like hair-to-hair kind of contact yeah. uh, because it attaches into your pubic hair. It also can attach into your eyelashes, eyebrows, facial hair, um, and armpit hair as well. Um, so anytime you come into contact with... But you're always going to know if someone is exhibiting symptoms of pubic lice because it's always it's going to be itchy. Uh, so someone, you're going to know. Um, and then the last parasitic infection is trichomoniasis, and that's transmitted through fluids. Uh, and then I forgot to mention but all the viral STIs start with an H, which is helpful. So HIV, HPV, hepatitis B, and herpes. And two of those viral infections have vaccinations available, which is another great way to practice prevention. Hepatitis B has a vaccination. Chances are most folks are already vaccinated against it because that's one of the standard ones that folks get. And then the other one is HPV, uh, which protects against, I think... At least nine of the strains of HPV, because there's over a hundred. <laughs> but the nine that we're very concerned about are covered in the vaccination. Okay, so yeah. when it comes to pubic lice, and would is like a treatment for that just simply shaving? Actually, no, because it'll dig into the hair follicle. So you'll need to get some medicated shampoo. You can use the same um, medicated shampoo that you would buy for head lice. It's a different critter, um, but it, the, the treatment is the same. So there's also medications like that you can get from your healthcare provider prescribed, but really you could go and buy a bottle of RID um, and, and take care of it. Uh, but yeah, shaving won't help it. I will say like the prevalence of pubic lice has gone down because of the popularity of bikini waxes. But I think sometimes people forget pubic hair also serves a protective function because it's preventing your skin to coming into contact with someone else's skin. So helping you against other STIs that are transmitted from skin to skin contact. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> I my plan for like if I ever got head lice was just to go bald because oh. um, I'm like I've done I've been bald before what what more could I but now that I know that yeah the more you know guys yeah um, well, and also in terms of like STI testing, um, yes. first of all, your healthcare provider probably isn't doing that automatically. So that's something that you have to speak to your healthcare provider about because also all the tests are different. Um, like chlamydia and gonorrhea is, they're tested together. Usually it's like a urine test. Um, syphilis is often a blood test or, um, if they see like the syphilis sore or the second stage is a rash that you get, uh, they might diagnose it on site, but usually they'll have to confirm it. Um, herpes is also a blood 
blood test, HIV, depending on which one you get, could be an oral swab or it could be like a finger prick or a blood draw. So they're all different, um, but you might not need all of them. So that's why it's important to be honest with your healthcare provider to make sure that uh, you're getting the care that you need, but you're also not going through any kind of unnecessary test. Uh, But it is also interesting because like for HPV, there's no direct test for HPV. Um, It's done through a pap smear. Um, But if someone doesn't get a pap smear regularly, like anyone who has a penis, um, chances are like there is really no test to detect that. Uh, So that's why vaccination is is really important in that regard. Sure. Um, So... Do you, does Well WVU provide testing? We don't because we're not uh, a doctor's office, yeah. so we're we're educators. But Student Health Services does, yes. So um, they do it by appointment. They also can help uh, folks if they're interested in exploring like hormonal contraception options. So they do provide reproductive health care, uh, and then again, the Mon County Health Department also provides it locally as well. And then we have some resources on our website to direct students to like find um, other places, like in their hometowns, if they still go to their healthcare providers back where wherever they're from. So we want to make sure that we have as much like accurate information on our website as possible. So I know one one thing that I wanted to talk about was, you know, how do you practice safe sex? And one of the biggest one of the biggest things I think is to educate yourself and but to also be kind of a critical consumer of what you're seeing. Because uh, if you just Google the word sex, like you're going to get billions of hits and I can guarantee that not all of them are going to be, you know, sort of academic or scientific information. Uh, and so you can actually visit our website and we have a lot of information up there that students can peruse, but then we also link to a lot of reputable organizations that students can learn more from. Yeah. I was about to ask. So if I'm looking, if I'm look, want to look up some pertinent information about safe sex outside, outside of well WVU, yeah. what, what other just a few sources what would be reliable uh, a few sources so um i know that so there's an organization called the sexuality information and education council of the united states or CECAS. um the planned parenthood website actually has a really great educational portion on its site about stis and safer sex and uh, methods of birth control all that kind of good stuff uh the cdc has good information about stis and uh testing procedures and things like that uh advocates for youth is a really great one sex etc is actually out of rutgers university and it's a sex ed for teens by teens and so it's a lot of um young people who are kind of it gives it that little like peer education element so all of those sites are listed on our website in addition to many many more that i can't remember off the top of my head but they're there (laughs) so outside of yeah for sure i think that obviously it's important to be educated but also look out for things that may not be too reliable Mm -hmm. um you know outside of stis stds and such what what else should people look out for when, you know, looking to have safer sex? Yeah. So, I mean, I think first, before you even like, whether it's like the first time you're having sex or the hundredth time, you know, uh, I think it's important to first examine your own values. Um, because are you having sex because it's something that you want to do? Um, or is it something that maybe your partner is pressuring you to do or you think that you have to do it? You know, because every, uh, I think on college campuses, people think that everyone's having sex with everybody else. And that's actually not the case. Um, we actually do have legit data on that uh, from 
fall 2021, when we did the National College Health Assessment, about 30% of WVU students haven't have never um, engaged in intercourse, uh, which is not really surprising, but I think folks will find that surprising. And then for the folks who actually did have um, a sexual partner, the average number of partners over a year was one. Hasn't that gone down over the years, too? It has, yeah. Like, you've, you've probably seen the articles where it's like, no one's, like, young people are having less sex, and I think that that might be the case. I think the pandemic might have played yeah. a little bit of a role in that, because we were kind of socially isolated, but, um, but yeah, I think it's it is kind of interesting. Um, so, yeah, examine your values. That's number one. Um, and then also really work to understand the definition of consent um, and what that actually looks like verbally, non-verbally, what non-consent looks like verbally and non-verbally. Um, and actually, I today in my notes, I brought um, an acronym from a book that I've been reading called Real Talk About Sex and Consent by an educator named Cheryl Bradshaw. And she actually uses an acronym that I'd love to share called Hot Spice. Um, and so the H stands for honest. Uh, So in a sexual encounter, each person should look at their own honest feelings in that moment about what they want uh, and what they don't want. And like, think about how do we really feel about something? The O is ongoing. So consent isn't a single moment or an interaction. It's throughout an encounter. So anytime someone escalates like the activity or does something new, uh, you they need to have their partners okay to do that. Um, T stands for talked about. So you can't rely just on body language, especially if it's a new partner, uh, because you're not familiar with that person. And so, um, and, but even if it's a partner that you've been with for years and years, like you want to use your words in addition to body language, because we also misjudge how well we read other people's body language. And also we tend to like, interpret it incorrectly because we want to say like we want to look for signs that confirm what we'd like to do or like to believe um, as opposed to what instead of asking so we want to talk we want to talk and there's no reason to not talk about it like before doing something sexual with a partner like if you're afraid of rejection like that's not a reason like if you're afraid of someone saying no that's not a reason um you can't guess what someone's feeling you want to be sure uh so that's the hot now the spice the s is specific so that's consent for the who what when where why and how of each activity the p is the present moment so only consent at the time of an activity is consent. There's like no free passes. It's nothing other than affirmative, enthusiastic consent in the moment of each sexual encounter. Um, and so even if like you agreed upon it beforehand, you know, an hour ago, like people can change their minds all the time. So you want to ask in the moment. Uh, I is informed. So that's having all the necessary details because everyone has the right to be fully informed about what they're consenting to and with whom. So that means like folks are being truthful about like their name, their age, uh, it, how sexual intimacy will take place, like which STI prevention or birth control prevention methods you're going to use um, or any risks that the partner might need to be aware of. So if someone Someone is living with an STI, like they need to disclose that. And then C is changeable. So that means anyone can withdraw it at any time. Um, anyone can stop an activity at any time for any reason. Uh, if your partner changes your mo- their minds, whether they say no or maybe they start to hesitate or slow down or just aren't responding as enthusiastically, you have to listen and stop the activity at once. Um, and then enthusiastic, the last one, that's each 
person is fully present and fully into it. Uh, and each person is choosing to be there. They're happy. They're excited. Um, they're, it's like no one should be emotionally or mentally absent. And like, so basically, we always want to make sure that everyone feels safe in a moment of sexual intimacy. So really understanding what consent is, <laughs> um, is, is, is key, 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 key. Um, but again, educating yourself on how STIs are transmitted, what the signs and symptoms are. A lot of times, one of the other misconceptions people have is that you can tell someone has an STI by looking at them. But most of the time, STIs don't have any symptoms or they're symptoms that folks aren't noticing. Uh, and so really the only way to be sure is to go and get tested. Um, and then you also want to learn how to use a condom properly, but also become comfortable with talking about condoms with your partner, talking um, about how to acquire them, and, like practice using them, because it's one thing to know something. It's a whole other thing to actually do it. Like, we know we should get seven to nine hours of sleep every night, but knowing that doesn't make us, like, actually sleep. Um then, besides, so vaccinations, hepatitis B and HPV both have vaccinations. You also should be discussing your sexual history um, and your testing status with your partner. A lot of times when students say or hear sexual history, they often just think of body count, um, which... It's, I hate that term because it makes it sound like everyone's an yeah, assassin. Like a comp- competition. <laughs> I know. And I think, I think the importance of that actual number is overstated, um, uh, because it's, it really doesn't mean anything in, in relation to safety because someone could have 20 partners, have been used all the safer sex methods and, um, not contract an STI. Someone could have one partner do the same thing and contract an STI. It actually doesn't say too much uh, about, you know what it is i think more accurately it's used to determine someone's sexual worth societally um and that's both positively and negatively and that's totally rooted in our culture of shaming i'm not cool with it so body count (laughs) is trash um so we just want to make sure we're talking about like what you did with previous partners how you protected yourself like did you get tested you know did you use barrier methods all that kind of good stuff um and then getting tested you should be if you're sexually active getting tested annually or in between partners and again talk to your healthcare provider um, about testing and then also if you are at high risk for contracting HIV um, you could also consider asking your healthcare provider about a prescription for PrEP which is pre-exposure prophylaxis so we have a couple minutes left is there is there anything about either well WVU safe sex or anything else that you would like to add to this um let's see did i miss anything on my list i think sometimes when we talk about like safer sex just know condoms uh don't protect you from all stis um just and that's because you know since some are transmit from skin to skin contact if skin is coming into contact like and condoms don't cover everything uh, we didn't really talk about internal condoms uh, which can be used for vaginal sex but also can be used for anal sex uh, those actually are not a latex condom so it is a great option for someone who is allergic to latex and it also is it's inserted into the we'll we'll say vagina this time so it's inserted into the vagina and actually has an inner ring that sort of is anchored by the cervix and then it has an outer ring that covers the vulva on the outside of the body um, and it actually provides more skin to skin protection than an external condom uh, and it can be inserted up to eight hours ahead of time and it warms up to the 
to your body heat so it can feel more natural for folks too. Uh, and so that's always an option. And that's something that we also provide for free at Well WVU. So, at, and so in our condom caravan, you can order external condoms um we have both latex and non-latex varieties we have internal condoms those there's only one company that makes those and they're made of synthetic nitrile uh we have dental dams both latex and non-latex um the latex ones are flavored the non-latex ones are not um we also have flavored external condoms that are sugar-free uh because you should never use uh any type of sugar around the vagina at all. Uh, then we also carry regular water-based lube and then we also have at the moment we have flavored lube as well. So for all of your sexual health needs we've we've got you covered. Awesome. Well that'll do it for Let's Talk Sex. Courtney, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jake. Absolutely. So we're going to kick it over to Nick Dahlia. This is Let's Talk Sex on United to the Moose. <laughs> 